All right, if your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Kings chapter number 3. 2 Kings chapter number 3. As you're turning there, uh, we're, we're just going to read a couple of verses out of this chapter. I, I would love to read the entire chapter for you. Uh, you probably don't want to listen to me stumble over some of those names and things like that. So, uh, so I will let you read that at home. And I encourage you to read it at home and, uh, and look at this chapter. It's a, it's a very uh, involved chapter. There is a lot in this chapter. Second uh, Kings chapter number three, and as we continue our study uh, on the life of Elisha, and, uh, and this is the conquest, uh, the conquest as the, the king of Israel decides to wage war against the king of Moab and we're going to look at that this morning and then Elisha's involvement in that as well and uh, it's a phenomenal chapter to be honest with you and, and the more I read it the more I studied the more notes I started making in my Bible and uh, just a really good chapter. Second Kings chapter number three verse number four we'll take up our story there. The Bible says in Misha king of Moab was a sheep master and rendered unto the king of Israel an hundred thousand lambs and an hundred thousand rams with the wool. And it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And the king of uh, and King Jehoram went out of Samaria the same time and numbered all Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, The way through the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire by him? And one of the king and one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Let's stop right there. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to be in your house. God, I pray that you would use me this morning. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. And God, as we look at this chapter, there's uh, certainly a lot that we can uh, learn from it. There's many lessons that we can draw from it. And Father, in all reality, just uh, 45 minutes would not allow us to uh, fully look at all the details of this chapter. But God, I pray that it would whet the appetite of each and every person. And God, as they go home, they would be interested. They'd be uh, curious as to uh, find out more about what took place in this chapter. And Father, we'll thank you for that. God, I ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this chapter, uh, it is a, a war that is taking place. Let me just explain for you the, the setting there that's going on. We have, uh, Je I already forgot his name, Jehoram. Uh, he was the king of, of Israel. The kingdom has been divided. And so you basically have the northern tribes and they're with King Jehoram. And then you have the southern tribe that would be uh, there mostly in, around Jerusalem. And that's Jehoshaphat. 
then the other party that's involved is Moab. They're kind of uh, off a little bit to the north uh, and to the west of them. And then we're going to look at Edom as well. They're kind of to the south and also to the west of them. And, uh, and so if you kind of picture all of that, I, I really wanted to, to get a map and draw pictures and all of that, but I didn't get that done. And so uh, otherwise I have a beautiful graphic up here for you. But you'll have to just make notes of it and look that up and, and look at your maps and, and figure all that out because it is very interesting as we look at it. And, uh, and you can tell, again, going back to our, our previous lesson, Elisha had been in Bethel. And I went and looked all these places up and where Elisha had been traveling. And really, it was quite an extensive thing. Go back with me to verse number uh, chapter 2 and verse the end of the chapter. You shouldn't have to turn a page. Maybe you have to turn one. But look with me there in verse number 25. Um, this is after Elisha uh, and after God had slain those uh, young people that had been mocking Elisha. And it says there in verse 25, And he went from thence to Mount Carmel, and from thence he returned to Samaria. And to sum this verse up, uh, this is at least by minimal, at least minimal, one week's worth of time all wrapped up in one verse. And he went to he went to Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel uh, was was about a sixty mile trip to the north as the crow flies. Now he didn't get in a car. He didn't drive there. Uh, he walked there. And, uh, and so you could imagine that would have been an extensive trip, uh, maybe not a full week, but, uh, uh, but nonetheless, he was, would have had to travel by foot. He would have traveled uphill to the mountains. You'll remember Mount Carmel was the location that Elijah had challenged the prophets of Baal to a, uh, basically a duel uh, that, that they would offer a sacrifice and whoever called down fire from heaven, uh, their God would be God. And the prophets of Baal cried all morning long and nothing happened. And uh, Elijah, Elijah uh, had a short prayer and God sent fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, consumed the waters that he had poured on his sacrifice beforehand. And, uh, and, and a great victory was wrought in Israel that day. And uh, then all those prophets of Baal were gathered up and then they were consequently killed. Uh, and, and you could imagine that left a stinging impression throughout Israel for that, uh, those things. Now, after he goes to Mount Carmel, we don't know how long he was there. He travels back to Samaria, which would have been another 30 mile trip. And again, we don't have really any information about what he's there. Uh, but Ahab is no longer king in Samaria. Je Jehoram, his son, is now the king there in uh, those tribes. And then after that, we have a little bit of introductory there in, in verses 1 through 4. But I want you to notice the rebellion that takes place in verse number 4 that we read. And Misha, king of Moab was a sheep master and rendered unto the king of Israel an hundred thousand lambs and an hundred thousand rams with the wool. Jump down to verse, uh, verse number five. But it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Now why did Misha, who is the king of Moab, rebel against Israel? Well, first of all, uh, there was the taxation. And uh, you look there in verse number four, and Misha, the king of Moab, was a sheep master and rendered unto the king of Israel an hundred thousand lambs and an hundred thousand rams with the wool. That is a lot of livestock. 
And we don't know if it was a yearly thing. We don't know if that was cumulative after uh, so many years that that was the total number. Uh, but we do know this, that uh, the, the king of, of uh, Moab, Misha, he was having to pay a tax or a tribute uh, to Israel. And uh, that's what that word rendered means. And, uh, and it was no small amount. You notice the amount of sheep. You notice the amount of rams. And then the Bible gives us the detail and says, uh, with the wool. In other words, hey, they were not to be sheared sheep. Uh, they were to be, hey, well grown out and uh, to the point that they needed to be sheared, uh, but they were not sheared. And that was very valuable for Israel uh, to receive all that wool, all that livestock uh, on a regular basis. And so there was this taxation and Moab obviously got tired of it, said, hey, we're not uh, we're not paying taxes anymore. And, uh, and I don't know if they coined the slogan, no taxation without representation. I don't think it came from them, but, uh, but it, that, that would be the case in point for sure because they had no representation and, uh, and certainly they were tired of it. What about the timing of the rebellion? Well, this is interesting because if you go back and you read this and put it all together, Ahab had been the king of Israel. And you'll notice that he's associated with that taxing. And so uh, Ahab had set that up apparently and, and, and caused that Moab would pay them. And so they had paid all of this taxation. And well, uh, Ahab, you'll remember, he was a wicked king. Elijah dealt with him very much. And, uh, and he ended up dying in a battle against Syria. And as he died in that battle against Syria, uh, you could imagine that's when Moab, and the Bible does tell us that, uh, that look at verse, 20, verse number five. But it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So it was during that war when, uh, when Ahab had died at the hand of the Syrians, he said, man, I'm not paying anymore. And uh, let them come after me. And, and you'll notice that Israel had really started to weaken under the hand of Ahab. You know that's interesting because I'm reminded of the verse. We know Ahab was a wicked person. And, and I'm reminded of the verse in Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we find that sin, even the sin in the nation of Israel, had truly weakened that country. By the way, if you think about it, uh, we think of America as being a, a superpower or one of the stronger nations. And that certainly historically was true. But I don't know if you realize it, but it seems like we're losing ground. And listen, what's the cause of that? Well, I believe it's not just our ingenuity. It's not just our, uh, our ability to do this or to do that. It is because America started as a godly country. And God was the one that raised up America to be feared around the world. You don't believe that, hey, you go back in the Bible and you see how many times Israel was feared by the people around them. And what would happen? They'd turn their back on God. And what would happen? The nation would get weak and the Philistines would take over. Go back and read the book of Judges over and over and over. Why is that? Because this verse is true. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. 
And that's a very true verse. And it holds true in America today. And we find that, that Israel was actually declining in their strength, in their influence in this region because of the wickedness of the Baal worship that had been brought in and because they had turned their back on God. And it was a real problem. And so we find the timing of the rebellion uh, was at the time of Ahab's death. And they said, oh, listen, you know, the country's getting weaker and uh, now we don't have to pay tribute. We don't have to pay tax to them any longer. And let's stop. And if they challenge us, hey, we'll go to war over this. And so they, they, they stopped paying that tax and they stopped paying and they rebelled against the nation of Israel. And then I want you to notice the type of rebellion. Uh, God allowed Israel to be chastened in the same way that they had sinned against God. John Butler says it this way. God still chastens people this way. The thief is stolen from. The traitor is betrayed. The cheater is cheated. The liar is lied to. The disobedient are disobeyed. The unfaithful to God experience unfaithfulness from others. It is an effective and equitable chastisement. I think he worded it well. And uh, the Bible does say he that lives by the sword basically dies by the sword. And so we ought to be careful in our own lives and heed warning that, hey, we ought to live right with God. Why? Because God blesses. Just like sin is a reproach to any nation, sin is a reproach to any Christian's life. And we ought to be careful that our life would live correctly before God. And so we see that Israel had rebelled against God, bringing in false worship and Baal worship, and now uh, the nation that was paying taxes to them has also rebelled against them. Now I want you to notice, so we see that rebellion, I want you to notice the retaliation of Jehoram. And this takes up much of the chapter here in verse number 6 on down. It says there uh, in verse number 6, And King Jehoram went out of Samaria the same time and numbered all Israel. Let me just point out this, that Jehoram was not Israel's next king. It went Ahab, after Ahab, his son uh, Ahaziah, get the name right, reigned. But he only reigned for two years. Then he died. And Jehoram, his brother, uh, was then put in the throne. And so we have two years lapse that Moab has not paid taxes and has not rendered tribute uh, to Israel because they rebelled when Ahab died. And uh, perhaps in their mind, they're thinking, hey, you know, all's good. Uh, two years has passed and uh, not a shot has been fired. Not a word of warning has gone by. And uh, we've gotten off with this and everything is good. Uh, but I want you to notice what takes place as the retaliation of Je Jehoram takes place there. And I want you to notice in verse 6 that we read that he goes out and he surveys the army. That's the first thing that he does. He goes out and he counts and he in inspects the troops. And he says, hey, what is the strength of our nation? Do we have enough to go to battle against uh, Moab? And I don't know that that is his mindset, but it certainly seems it as the chapter goes on, and he, that's exactly what he does. And so he's measuring up his troops. And I found it interesting this, because go back to verse number 2 that we did not read. It's talking about Jehoram, and it says, And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved under the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. And so uh, obviously Jehoram was, or er, 
Yeah, Jehoram was not a, uh, a godly man. Uh, he was really not, not living for God. And so what does he do? He goes out and says, hey, let's measure our strength. You know what he would have been better off doing? Hey, let's go measure our godliness. Hey, let's put in check our spirituality. Let's find out if God is with us or if God is not with us. And if not, then we need to join forces with God. And, uh, and he would have been far better off looking at uh, the, the spiritual condition of his country than the physical armies of his country. But again, he was not a spiritual man. And uh, not only that, but I want you to notice that he goes out and he, he not only does he survey the armies, but he secures an ally. Look with me in verse number seven. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And you notice Jehoshaphat agrees. Now, Jehoshaphat is known as a good king in, in uh, Jerusalem. And, uh, and you'll notice that he usually does what is right. We'll even find in this chapter that, that God even notices that. But go with me, save your spot here in 2 Kings, and go with me to 2 Chronicles, chapter number 18. And I want you to see just these couple of verses, because this is not the first time that Jehoshaphat has been asked to go in league with Israel. Now, there's two different kingdoms. You have, uh, you have uh, the southern kingdom, I think it's Judah, if I'm not mistaken. And then you have Israel, which was considered the northern kingdom. And Jehoram is king of the northern kingdom. Jehoshaphat is king of the southern kingdom. And, uh, and before, uh, he was asked by Ahab to go to battle with him. And maybe in his mind, he's thinking, hey, these are my people. This is Israel. Uh, these are my brethren. And, and maybe that's his thought process. But nonetheless, we find back in 2 Chronicles chapter number 18. Look with me at the end of the chapter there in verse number 31 and 32, towards the end of the chapter. The Bible says, And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is the king of Israel. This is while they're in battle against the Syrians. It is the king of Israel. Therefore, they compassed about him to fight. But Jehoshaphat cried out and the Lord helped him and God moved them to depart from him. And it came to pass that when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back again from pursuing him. And then uh, 33 and 34 is how Ahab died as a, uh, a man drew a bow and, and shot Ahab. Uh, go with me to chapter 19 and verse 1 and 2 there. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of um, Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. In other words, the prophet of God came and said, Hey, what are you doing going to battle with Ahab uh, and holding company with a wicked king like Ahab? And the prophet really scolds him and says, Hey, Ahab hates God. 
uh, he has proven uh, over and over that he is against God. And why are you holding an allegiance with him and going into battle? And he's scolded really uh, by the prophet of God. And he has been warned about those kind of uh, alliances that are made with wicked men. And yet we find here in, back in our chapter of 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse number 7 uh, that as soon as Jehoram sends word and says, Hey, Jehoshaphat, will you go to war with me? What's his answer? We'll look for it in verse number 7. And he went and sent Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And we see again that, uh, that, that Jehoram uh, is saying, hey, let's go. I'm going with you. Uh, your people are my people. And, and I don't know, maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I can reunite this kingdom and I can bring it all back under me uh, and, and everything will be good. I, I don't really know what's going through his mind, but I do know this. He has already been warned about holding uh, ungodly um, alliances uh, with the king to the north before. And, uh, and so we see uh, that this takes place and he goes, he goes ahead and goes to war. Look with me in verse number eight. And he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, the way through the wilderness of Edom. The, the way it seems to me that it's written is Jehoram is asking Jehoshaphat, hey, which way should we go? Uh, what, is the, what is the way we could handle this battle? And Jehoshaphat uh, goes ahead and, and, and says, hey, here's the way we're going to do this. And I've looked at this before. Uh, he decides to go down south and back around through Edom up to attack Moab. That was not the closest route. The closest route would have been to gather in Israel to the north and then shoot right over to Moab, that was their neighbor, uh, and drop down on them. Uh, and there was maybe a couple reasons for that. One, probably, in my mind, it was a surprise attack. In other words, uh, Moab would certainly expect that they rebelled against Israel, therefore Israel would come at the closest front. It would be foolish for them to travel all the way down south and then go up and attack that away. Uh, but I think also the second thing was kind of a subtle message to Edom because Edom was also under the control of Israel. And they were saying to Edom, hey, listen, don't get any ideas. Moab rebelled against us and uh, we're going to take you right along with us and go into war against Moab and, and kind of keep you under our thumb and to make sure that, hey, uh, Edom was aware that rebellion against uh, getting out of this this this." Uh, Paying taxes and paying tribute to Israel was not something uh, that they were for. Uh, and whatever his reasoning are uh, or was, we find that he goes to the southern route. Now, I want you to notice the problems that they run into in verse number nine. So the king of Israel went and the king of Judah and the king of Edom. So we have all three of those kings going. And they fetched a compass of seven days journey and there was no water for the host for the cattle that followed them. Now, if you're one person and you're making this trip, probably would not have been so bad. And again, they didn't have 
They didn't have vehicles. They didn't have buses. They, they were marching. They were walking. And on top of marching and walking, because there was a company of soldiers and there was weapons and everything had to be brought, then it was necessary to bring with them animals that would pack the supplies, the food and the water and everything that had to be brought with them uh, to take care of the soldiers. And so as they were going, it was seven days of marching through very difficult terrain. They were in a mountainous region. It was dry, uh, and they had to go uh, down south around, I believe it's the Dead Sea, if I'm not mistaken, and over and back up to get into uh, to Moab through Edom. And, uh, and as they were going, they ran into this problem that there was no water for them. Now, this is a... This is a real problem for armies. This is a real problem for soldiers that are supposed to be attacking and, 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 and they're supposed to be taken care of. And, uh, and listen, uh, look there in verse number 10, because Jehoram, what does he do in, in this adversity and this problem? He blames God. Read it again. He says, and the king of Israel, that would be Jehoram, said, alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. In other words, he's saying, listen, God has brought us three kings together and God is going to deliver us, the kings, into the hand of Moab. In other words, we are going to lose. And it's God's fault that, that, uh, that we have come this way and God has brought us together so that he can punish us and, and deliver us into the hands of of, of Moab. And that's his conclusion. And, uh, and, and so Jehoram is trying to lead this attack against Moab. And all of these things are, are not going in favor with him. But you notice there in verse number 11, this Bible says, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of him? And we see the resorting to Elisha. The resorting to Elisha there in verse number 11. And, uh, and notice, it's not Jehoram that's asking for the prophet of God. It's Jehoshaphat, the godly king. He's the one that's saying, hey, isn't there a prophet of God? Now, I think he's uh, a couple steps too late, about seven, eight, maybe ten days too late. Uh, and he probably should have been asking for a prophet of God about ten days ago when he was first confronted with this, uh, with this situation. But nonetheless, uh, at least he does bring it up and say, hey, uh, you know, we got this little problem. Maybe we should have talked to God about this. Uh, you know, now, now's a good time. Hey, we better find a prophet of God. And I find it interesting. Look there, re read with me verse number 11. You can read to yourself. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Listen to this. And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Now, I don't know if Jehoram was aware that Elisha was with them. I don't get the idea by any stretch of the imagination that Jehoram issued an invitation to Elisha and said, hey, we need a prophet of God to go with us against this battle. I don't see that at all. Just by the nature of who Jehoram was and the fact that he was a wicked man and was not interested in serving God. But for whatever reason, here is uh, maybe divinely appointed that Elisha feels, hey, I should accompany this group that's going. And he's just kind of mixed in. And it's a servant that says, hey, I know that's the man of God. 
And he recognized him and he knows who he is. Maybe he talked with him. Maybe he traveled with him. I don't really know all the details, but it was that servant. And when Jehoshaphat asks, the servant says, oh yeah, Elisha's here. And he's a man of God. And he poured hand, water on the hands of Elijah. Uh, and we see that, uh, that the, the servant points that out. And so they are resorting now to Elisha. Look with me in verse number 12. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now I want you to notice this, the call to Elisha. They went down to him. Uh, listen, the kings very easily, matter of fact, many times in the Bible, you see that the king says, send for the man of God and have him come here. And they're always bringing the man of God in. And God oftentimes brings the man of God into the presence of the king. But in this case, all three kings are like, let's go down and see the man of God. We got a problem. Uh, we need to go. And here they are going to the man of God. And I think that's a phenomenal step as they go to visit and to call on Elisha and find out what is going on. Look at the credentials of Elisha there in verse number 12. Well, actually, it starts in verse number 11 at the end because I, I cannot omit that from the credentials of Elisha. It says, um, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Elisha may not have been known publicly on the, on the scene uh, as, as a great prophet of God, but Elijah certainly was. And the fact that Elisha had spent time, and I love the way it's worded, that he poured water on the hands of Elijah. You know what Elisha was? He was a servant to Elijah. What an awesome uh, statement about Elisha, Elisha. And the fact that he served the Lord under the, uh, the, the tutelage of Elijah. And, and Elijah certainly was known throughout Israel as a great man of God, a great prophet of God. But that's not the only credential we have. Look at verse number 12. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. Hey, listen, people ought to know that the word of God is with us. They ought to look at our life and they ought to say, there's something different about that person. Listen, Elisha had not had a great public miracle per se. Uh, you, you remember a few of the things that he has done uh, and certainly they were miracles, but they were not a great notable miracles per se uh, as those that Elijah had done. But nonetheless, they did know this about him. Hey, the word of the Lord is with him. And he was known for that. I was reminded of the verse in Acts chapter 4, 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Boy, what a statement. Man, I would that every person that comes across our path this week, not just my path, but your path, and every person, could you imagine the impact that we would make if every person that came across our path this week and, and that would talk with us would say, that guy's been with Jesus. There's just something about his, his life. There's something that, that makes a statement. Uh, he might be, uh, they might say this of me, he's ignorant and unlearned. But you know what? He's been with Jesus. Hey, let him 
carry whatever opinion they want. As long as they see Jesus in us, that we ought to reflect that. Elisha, the man of God, was known for having the word of God with him. What a great credential that, that uh, Elisha had. I want you to notice the censure there in verse number 13. He says there in 13, And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? <laughs> Boy, that's quite a statement. Je oh, Jehoram. Jehoram and Elisha were not friends, okay? They were not buddy-buddy. And Elisha immediately says to the king of Israel, that would be Jehoram, that would be the wicked king, not Jehoshaphat, but Jehoram. And he says, what have I to do with thee? I don't have any business with you. Why are you here to see me? You don't have any interest in me. And, and we see uh, that it was certainly required. I won't reread it because we already read it. But verse number two very clearly tells us that, hey, Jehoram was not a, a godly man. He was not interested in serving God. And yet here he is coming to see the prophet of God. And it's almost like trying to ride the fence. Well, I don't want to be extreme over here and I don't want to be extreme over here. You know, I just want to kind of stay in the middle and make everyone happy. Listen, you cannot appease everyone. But we ought, to appease, we ought to please God with our life. And we find that uh, Jehoram uh, is censored by the man of God. And, and he's reprimanded. Uh, look at there in verse number 13. And Elisha said to him, unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said to him, Nay, the, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And he says, Hey, why don't you go back to your gods? Go back to your Baal worship. Go back. Well, it wasn't Baal worship, but it certainly wasn't God worship because he kind of did away with uh, some of that, but he still maintained some of it. And, and so he said, why don't you go to the, the gods of your fathers and the gods of your mothers? And, and why don't you go back to that? And, and he really is not very kind to Jehoram, uh, but Jehoram really wasn't a godly person. He wasn't really seeking after God either. And so we see that. And Elijah, Elisha is a man of great character, and he calls sin, sin. And, and it doesn't matter if it involves the king of Israel uh, or anyone else. He's going to call out sin, and he certainly does that. Now, I want you to notice in verse number 15, he says, Oh, let's go back to 14. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. Well, that's quite a strong statement. And he says, hey, if Jehoshaphat was not here, we wouldn't even have this conversation. He says, I'm only here and I'm only talking to you because Jehoshaphat is here. Uh, what a, boy, what a statement of, of not a perfect, because Jehoshaphat was not a perfect man, but a godly influence. And listen, boy, how we ought to have a godly influence. And sometimes God will bless just merely because of a godly influence. You know what that tells me? That as long as we're here, as long as we're alive, in my mind, there's still hope for America. As long as we're serving the Lord, but for our godly influence that we have and we carry, hey, that, that God very well could still bless and could still do something. 
And, uh, and so what a, what a difference that a godly influence can make. I want you to notice in verse number 15, uh, we see this. But now, this is Elisha speaking, but now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Elisha called for a song service. He said, hey, listen. I want to hear the music of God. And he called for a minstrel. A minstrel would be an instrument. And, uh, and the music played. Hey, listen, we sing these songs before church and we sing them in the morning service and we sing them in the evening service. They're, I, I used to tell people in Peru, they're not a buffer so that you can arrive on time for preaching. They're part of the worship service. It's for us to open up the songbook and to read those, those words. I don't know about you, I was enjoying that song, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Boy, what a great song. That we would proclaim honor and glory to our God and that we would, we would honor Him with our voices. And, and what a great opportunity that we have to sing. Well, Elisha, he was saying, after he had done, uh, had this conversation with Jehoram, which was not a pleasant conversation, he said, hey, man, I need a minstrel. I need, I need some godly music. I need something that will, uh, that will help the, the spirit here. And, and so he brought in a minstrel and, and had music. And I want you to notice, look at what it says there in verse number 16. And he said, or at the end of verse number 15, uh, the, after they played the minstrel, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Verse number 16, and he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain, yet that, yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And, I love this, verse 18, this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. Boy, what an incredible statement. You got to understand they're in, they're, in the, they're in desert land. It does not rain very much around this area uh, in, in Israel. Uh, going down around the south side of that Dead Sea. Um, and, and there's not much rain there. And, and God is saying, hey, you go out and you dig these ditches, and, uh, and after you do that, I'm going to fill them. But you're not going to have wind, you're not going to have rain, uh, and I'm going to fill those. It is going to be an explicit miracle from God. And we see the command that he's giving. And, and listen, God's blessings often go with obedience to his command. So many times people are like, well, God didn't bless. Maybe we ought to check up on our responsibility because I know this, that God never fails. God doesn't make mistakes. God is always faithful. And where the failure is oftentimes is on our part and not holding up our end of things. And so we see the command uh, that he says, hey, go out and, and dig all of these ditches. And, and verse number 20, you can go back and read it, uh, that that. Well, let's just read it really quick. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that behold, there came water by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water. What a great blessing. We see the consequences of the obedience of the word of God. And listen, there are certainly consequences for following God. They, they called the man of God 
And God worked a great miracle in that place. It goes on. We don't have time. You'll have to read the end of the chapter. Moab was destroyed. And it's phenomenal just reading through that and finding out what, was, what took place and, and how that all happened. And, and, uh, and I'm just saying this. There are so many lessons that you can pull out of that whole passage about godliness, about influence, about obeying God, about walking with God, about living for God, about uh, believing the, the commands that he tells us to do and him doing, fulfilling those, those, those things that he said he'll do. And, and there are so many lessons that you can garner from these uh, verses. What a phenomenal chapter in reality. And we see Elisha, the man of God, standing for God and doing what is right. What a phenomenal example to us. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. God, thank you for your word. And God, there's so many things that we could learn from that passage. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you would uh, help us to read, to understand, and to draw from your word the lessons that you would have us to get. God, I pray that you would encourage, strengthen, and help each and every believer this morning. And Father, if there's one that does not know you, I pray, God, that you would uh, just show them that their need for salvation. God, maybe they're trying to walk as Jehoram did and trying to please everyone. God, we find that that's not possible. God, I pray that they would seek to please you first and foremost in their life. God, that they'd recognize that's not possible without putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, as the music plays, the altar's open. So many lessons to be learned. So many things that we can see in that chapter. I hope and pray that it's a help and a blessing to you.